Enjoy the little things, for one day you may look back and realize that those were actually the big things. Robert Brock. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Intentional Living and Leadership. My name is Cal Walters and I sincerely appreciate your listening today. If this is your first time listening, first of all, I want to thank you. I know your time is valuable and I want you to know that my goal is to make sure that this time we spend together is meaningful and useful to you. Every two weeks, typically on a Tuesday, if I can get my act together, I publish an episode on a topic that's related to either leading yourself, which is intentional living, or leading other people, because I think leadership is so vitally important. And before I jump into today's content, which I'm really excited about, I wanna thank everyone that reached out to me about last week's episode. Last week, I talked about digital minimalism, and from the responses I've received so far, I can tell that I'm not the only one that's trying to get a better hold on my relationship with technology. I've loved hearing how many of you are on a journey of stepping back from technology use and trying to be more intentional on what tools you allow into your life. And I wanted to answer a question that I received from several people about this topic of digital minimalism. The question was basically, Cal, I really like what you said. I'm making progress myself, but how do I get other people in my life to buy into making a change as well? So I wanted to offer a few thoughts on that. First though, I think this question highlights the beauty of a technology detox. When we step away, we rediscover the beauty of solitude. We spend more time doing things that are more fulfilling. And all of a sudden, we start to realize just how much time we were spending on these digital tools. And I don't think any of us fully know how bad the problem is until we step away. But at the same time, we also discover that the people around us, because we have these fresh eyes to see, are also consumed by their devices. So I want to offer you guys some advice because I know it can be frustrating when you start to see other people who are struggling with it as well. First, I think it's really important to remain humble and remind yourself how all-consuming these digital products can be. I don't think we make any progress with people when we sit on some high horse and judge people for something that we previously struggled with. Second, I think it's important to set an example and remember that setting a good example makes a lot bigger difference than your words. As Gandhi said, an ounce of practice is worth more than tons of preaching. At the end of the day, you can't change anyone, but you can set an example, walk with humility as you make progress. And then I think with that, you can humbly share with others your own journey. So as you make progress in this area, others are gonna notice that. And as you make progress, you can share the benefits that you're experiencing with those that you love. It's hard to argue with someone's personal experience. So just continue to check yourself. It's okay to share your story to inspire, but don't try to manipulate. Share your story about how you've stepped away from technology, you're experiencing solitude, how you really are discovering how much time you were devoting to technology, how nice it is to have your autonomy back. Share that with people, not trying to manipulate them into changing themselves, but helping to inspire them to maybe want to change. And just always remember, people are not going to change until they 
make the decision themselves that they want to change. So those are my thoughts on helping others discover digital minimalism. Let me know how things are going with you. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on Facebook. You can email me at calwalterspodcast at gmail.com. I would love to continue to hear your journey and I will continue to share with you my journey as I make progress. From the last two weeks, I've been doing great and I have definitely noticed the beauty of regaining solitude. I feel like I've had so much more time to do the things that I love and I love that. So I hope you're experiencing that as well as you try to be more intentional about your technology use. So let's jump into today's content. Today I'm so pumped to talk about gratitude, a topic that's simple, but it's so incredibly important to living a fulfilled life. Today I'm going to discuss some of the exciting new science on gratitude, why it's important, and the obstacles that often get in our way to practicing gratitude. I'm going to leave you with a couple very practical ways to be a person that has a disposition of gratitude. Back in 1946, psychiatrist Viktor Frankl published one of the great books of our time. The book's title was A Psychologist's Experience in the Concentration Camp. And then it was republished as Say Yes to Life in Spite of Everything. And then in 1959, finally the book was translated into English and it was titled A Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, Frankl describes the unimaginable horrors of the Holocaust through the unique lens that he had as a psychiatrist. Frankel labored in four different Nazi death camps, including Auschwitz. Of all the powerful lines and moments in this book that I highly recommend, there's one line that especially stands out to me, and it's this. Frankel says, Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except for one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you feel and do about what happens. Now those words, to me, have special meaning when you consider Frankel and what he went through. It's hard to argue with a man who has experienced true hell on earth And when he says that despite all odds and all forces working against us, that we still have that power to choose how we view a situation, to me that means something. John Milton wrote in Paradise Lost that the mind is its own place, and in it can make a heaven a hell or a hell of heaven. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else today, what Viktor Frankl highlights in the most extreme circumstances of the Holocaust And science demonstrates, as I will discuss, is that everyone experiences objective reality differently. And the difference is the mindset and the lens through which we view our reality. If you choose, and it's always a choice, to see abundance and to practice gratitude, you will, over time, feel abundance and experience gratitude. And if, however, you choose to see scarcity and focus on what you do not have, you will live a life of scarcity and you will see all that you don't have and your reality will be one of lack. Our mind is a powerful tool. It can literally shape the way we see objective reality. Happiness researcher Sean Atcher does an exercise with business leaders and corporate executives to demonstrate this. They're all in the same room. They close their eyes and he tells them they can't look at their watch, they can't look at a clock and he has them sing in their mind, not aloud, 
row, row, row your boat over and over in their head for an unspecified amount of time. So they're just sitting there. They're going row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So they're just doing over and over. Of course, many of the executives look at him funny, but at the end, he tells them to stop and he gets them to guess and write down how long they think they were singing that tune in their head. And every single time, there's a wide variety of answers from 45 seconds all the way to seven minutes. And everyone in the room is convinced that their answer is right. But the reality is there's only one objectively right answer, 70 seconds, but they all perceived it differently, which demonstrates the power of the mind to shape objective reality. It's similar to the placebo effect, which many of us have heard before. Countless studies have shown that when a patient is given a sugar pill and told that it's going to help alleviate some of their symptoms, that it often does so. And sometimes it's even as effective as the actual drug. This simple change in their mind of thinking that this is going to fix their problem actually shapes an objective reality. Studies have also shown that people who were told that poison ivy was being placed on their skin experienced a rash and irritation on their skin, even though the plant itself was harmless. And vice versa, where poison ivy was rubbed on people that were actually allergic to poison ivy but were told that it was this harmless plant, only two of 13 who were actually allergic to poison ivy broke out in a rash. This just demonstrates how powerful our mind is. And so when we practice gratitude, all we're doing is we are changing the way which we view our objective reality. Again, Sean Archer, he wrote this book. It's called The Happiness Advantage, which I highly recommend. I went through it in 48 hours. It's very well written. Sean was a professor at Harvard. And at Harvard, he noticed that many of the students were stressed, overwhelmed, depressed, unhappy, despite being at a school that most of us would kill to be at. This is Harvard. In 2004, for instance, a Harvard Crimson poll found that as many as four in five Harvard students suffered from depression at least once during the school year. And nearly half of all of the students suffered from depression that was so debilitating they couldn't function. So in the fall of 2009, Sean was invited to go on a month-long speaking tour through Africa. And during this trip, a CEO named Salem took him to a township that was just outside of Johannesburg. And this is a place that many inspiring people, including Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, called their home. He visited a school next to a shanty town where there was no electricity and there was scarce running water. He arrived at the school and he realized that many of his normal stories wouldn't fit for this group. Sharing research and experiences of wealthy American college students and wealthy, powerful business leaders just seemed inappropriate for this setting. So he tried to open up dialogue, joking with the student. He said, who here likes to do schoolwork? And to his surprise, 95% of the students raised their hands and they started smiling genuinely and enthusiastically. And so afterwards, Salem, the CEO, pointed out to him that these children, for them, schoolwork was a privilege, a privilege that many of their parents didn't have. And so as Sean was returning to Harvard two weeks later, he was seeing his Harvard students again complain about the very thing that these children in Africa saw as a privilege. And it helped him see how much our interpretation of our reality changes our experience of that reality. I've had similar experiences. Whenever I've returned from a trip, when I went on a trip to a less privileged country, I return back to the United States and I have fresh eyes to see the abundance that before I took for granted. And I'm sure many of you have had similar experiences. I remember after spending three months in ranger school where I was deprived of those basic things like sleep, food, and comfort that all of a sudden I started to appreciate every little thing. 
And that's what gratitude is all about. It's about finding those fresh eyes. It's about changing the lens through which we view our world. It's about making the small things the big things once again. And when we do this, when we intentionally take the time to practice gratitude and reflect on the good, our life improves. How cool is that? This is not just something that we know intuitively or experience. After all, many of us, we teach our kids very early on to be grateful for what they have. We know that in our gut that this is important, but the awesome thing is that this is also something that's backed up by science and new studies and positive psychology demonstrate the impact of practicing gratitude, of having positive thoughts. And the cool thing is that also experts are only just now beginning to discover the power of positive thought on our lives. Surprisingly, until only a few decades ago, the vast majority of psychological research was in studying negative emotions. Researchers studied depression and other disorders to try to figure out how best to bring people out of those states and place them into a place of better functioning. Understandably, researchers put their focus into solving problems. In these studies of negative emotions, they were trying to figure out how to bring people from being unhappy and to place them into a place of normal functioning. So there were very few studies into the positive aspects, to positive psychology, and into what makes people actually thrive and feel true happiness. In fact, until as late as 1998, there was a 17 to 1 ratio in favor of negative psychological studies. So as a society, we know very well how to be unwell and miserable, but we're just now discovering how to thrive. And thankfully, that tide has turned. In decades of research and positive psychology have revealed a lot to us. So I'm going to ask you an important question. Which do you think comes first, happiness or gratitude? In other words, should we wait until we feel happy to express gratitude? Or does the expression of gratitude actually make us happy? If we're honest, I think many of us, we think of gratitude as something that we feel or experience only when we're happy. Something goes our way, we land a big deal, we get a bonus, we do well on a test, we receive a compliment, and then our response to that feeling of happiness is gratitude. Many of us view gratitude as this almost passive byproduct or emotion that we feel as a result of something good instead of an action or discipline that we engage in. So we wait until we feel happiness, and then, only then, we express gratitude. But I would argue, and this is simple, but I think it's important, that gratitude should actually be a discipline. It should be a habit that, if practiced, actually leads to us being more fulfilled and being happy. Just like a little small bit of exercise that's consistently done over a period of time leads to physical health and strength of the body, gratitude, when it's consistently practiced over time, leads to happiness and strong emotional well-being. Dr. Robert Emmons is the leading scholar on gratitude. He's performed many of the leading scientific studies on gratitude. He's authored several books on the topic. And as the leading researcher on gratitude, I think we should pay special attention to his definition and how he views it. And he views it in two different ways, two different stages. The first stage of gratitude is the acknowledgement of something good. It's seeing the thing in your life that is truly good. And then the second stage of gratitude is recognizing that the source of this goodness lies at least partially outside of us. And the second stage also implies a level of humility, a recognition that we could not be who we are 
or where we are in life without the contributions of others. Think of this as the Texas two-step. First, you acknowledge the thing that's good, and then second, you give credit to the source of the goodness. Now, I recently read Dr. Emmons' book. It's called Thanks. And in it, he details much of his life's work on gratitude. And the findings were incredible. He did numerous studies to understand whether practicing gratitude had any real effect on someone's state of being. And he found that those who regularly practice gratitude, even by just writing down what they were thankful for once a week, measured 25% happier than those who did not do this intentional exercise. That's 25% increase in happiness from doing something as simple as writing down once a week the things that they were thankful for. It's incredible to think that something so simple could have such a measurable effect on our well-being. And an increase in happiness wasn't the only finding. Those who take the time to think about and write down the things and the people that they're thankful for reported fewer health concerns, reported spending more time exercising, they felt more joyful, they felt more excited, they felt more determined and strong, they felt more optimistic about the coming week, they reported getting more sleep each night, they spent less time awake from falling asleep, and they felt more refreshed after waking up. And this particular finding may not seem like a big deal, but sleep disturbance and poor sleep quality have been identified as central indicators of poor overall well-being. People whose sleep issues persist over time face an increase for physical disease and premature mortality. So as Dr. Emmons says in his book, if you want to sleep more soundly, count your blessings, not sheep. Not only did participants in these gratitude studies indicate positive feelings and life satisfaction, but so did the reports of their significant others. In fact, despite not knowing that their loved ones were doing these gratitude exercises, family, friends, partners, and others found that the participants were measurably happier and more pleasant to be around. And this is consistent with other findings that show people who have a disposition of gratitude have better relationships and they feel more connected to their loved ones. And this is great news. In a world that's increasingly lonely, we live in an age of loneliness. Never before in history, have so many people lived alone and never before have families been so geographically dispersed and small. And another incredible finding of these studies is that those who practice gratitude reported offering others emotional support and assistance with personal problems. The gratitude condition increased pro-social motivation. It motivated people to do good, which creates this awesome cycle. As I talked about on episode 13, as we serve, as we volunteer, as we give of ourselves, it releases these feel-good hormones in our body like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. And how cool is that? That as you practice gratitude, you see things differently, which then leads you to help more people, which then leads you to be more happy. Positive thought has also been shown to lead to more longevity. Researchers have studied old diaries from Catholic nuns. There were 180 nuns from the School Sisters of Notre Dame. They were all born before 1915, and they were all asked to write down their thoughts in autobiographical journal entries. The clever researchers, they coded these entries for positive emotional content, and they found that these nuns, whose journal entries were more overtly joyful, lived nearly 10 years longer than the nuns whose entries were more negative. By age 85, 90% of the happiest quartile of these nuns were still alive, compared to only 34% of the least happy nuns. Studies have also revealed another reversal of traditional logic. Traditionally, it was believed that success leads to happiness. You put in hard work, you put your head down, you achieve, you achieve, you achieve, and at the end of the road, when you've achieved success, there will be happiness. And this is true. Many of us have experienced this, this feeling of happiness that comes after an achievement. 
But studies have also demonstrated that the opposite is true. That happiness, as Aristotle defined it as human flourishing, also leads to success. We've often thought of this backwards, that we have to wait to achieve success to experience happiness, but actually happiness is the catalyst to achieve success. In fact, the results of over 200 scientific studies of nearly 275,000 people have found that happiness leads to success in nearly every domain of our lives, including marriage, health, friendship, community involvement, creativity, and in particular, our jobs, careers, and our business. And as I talked about earlier, one key to happiness is gratitude. So when we put all this together, here's the sequence to get to this awesome cycle. You practice gratitude. And as you practice gratitude, you experience happiness. And as you experience happiness, you experience greater success in every area of your life. Gratitude leads to happiness, and happiness leads to success. How cool is that? So with all this powerful research into the benefits of practicing gratitude, why don't we do it? I mean, the idea of practicing gratitude is not necessarily new. It's not necessarily novel. Most people like the idea of positive thinking, certainly more so than negative thinking. Practicing gratitude is easy advice to give. It's kind of like saying live in the moment, but rarely do people talk about how you actually practice gratitude and what are those obstacles that keep us from practicing gratitude in the day to day. So I want to talk about that now. I want to talk about the obstacles, the biggest obstacles that keep us from practicing gratitude. And then I want to offer you two keys to practicing gratitude in your life. The first and biggest obstacle to practicing gratitude is what psychologists call a negativity bias. Negative events have a greater impact on our brains than positive ones. Consider an example given by James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. Let's say you're walking through the forest and suddenly a tiger steps onto your path ahead of you. When this happens, your brain registers a negative emotion, in this case, fear. And researchers have long known that negative emotions program your brain to do a very specific action. When that tiger crosses your path, for example, you run. And the rest of the world in that moment doesn't matter. In that moment, you are focused entirely on the tiger. You're focused on your fear and you're focused on how you can escape. The negative emotions that you feel narrow your mind and they focus your thoughts. At that moment, you could be thinking about many other things. You could be thinking about climbing a tree, picking a leaf, eating something, but your brain ignores all of these other options because they seem irrelevant when a tiger is standing right there in front of you. Now, this is a useful instinct if you're trying to survive in the wilderness, but in modern society, we don't have to worry about stumbling into tigers. The problem is that our brains are still programmed to respond to negative emotions in the same way by shutting off the outside world and limiting the options that we see around us. Have you ever found yourself dwelling on an insult? Someone can say 10 things positive about you, but for some reason you focus on that one thing that was insulting. Or have you ever found yourself, you're fixated on a mistake you made, you do 10 things right, but you remember the one mistake you made. Or maybe you've caught yourself in an argument that you were so angry all you could think about was how angry you were. Or maybe you've caught yourself at work where you've had something on your mind, something pressing that you needed to get done and you couldn't focus on anything else. These negative emotions, they prevent our brain from seeing the other options and choices that surround us. It's our survival instinct and it's an obstacle, unfortunately, to us practicing gratitude. But the key is that knowing about this negative bias is super helpful. As you go through your day and you find yourself instinctively focusing on the negative, you can remind yourself that your brain has this tendency to focus on the negative and ignore the positive. 
In other words, your brain tends to paint an overly negative reality of your world. And the reality is actually probably something far more positive. So I want to encourage you, as you're feeling this, as you're going through your day, as you're trying to practice gratitude, remind yourself that you have this negativity bias. And so it's an obstacle to practicing gratitude, but knowing this allows us to see clearly that we have this negative bias. The second biggest obstacle to us practicing gratitude is comparison. We feel joy about something we have in our life, we look around, we scroll through Instagram, and then all of a sudden, the joy that we felt is lost because we compare our circumstances to someone else's. I've talked about this issue at length on episode five of the podcast, that comparison is this trap that steals our joy. One of my favorite pastors and thinkers, Andy Stanley, says that there's no win in comparison. He talks about how Solomon in the Bible, the wisest man on earth at the time, said that comparison is like chasing after the win. There's always going to be someone with more err, someone that's smarter, stronger, younger, faster, cuter, skinnier, richer, taller. We are all beautiful in our own way. We truly are. We're all beautifully unique. And when we compare ourselves to others in an unhealthy way, not in a way to be inspired, but for our own identity, we miss out on the unique beauty that's in us. As Jordan Peterson says in his book, The 12 Rules of Life, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Check out episode five for a more in-depth treatment of this topic, or better yet, check out Andy Stanley's speeches on this topic. But suffice it to say, the comparison steals our joy, and it robs us of the ability to practice true gratitude. It's hard to be thankful for small things in your life when you're constantly comparing your small things to someone else's seemingly big things. So remind yourself that there's no win in comparison. Allow yourself to celebrate the victories of others and remind yourself that you are on your own unique journey. If you're going to compare, compare yourself to be inspired and compare yourself to who you were yesterday so you can keep growing. A third obstacle to practicing gratitude is talked about in Dr. Emmons' book where he points out that there's this widespread perception by many of victimhood. According to Dr. Emmons and Dr. Tara Deneen, the therapeutic culture within which we live encourages finger pointing for one's problems while minimizing personal responsibility. Without diminishing the truly horrific cases that many people experience, Dr. Emmons believes that the tendency to blame others significantly limits our capacity to practice gratitude. People think of themselves as damaged goods, think of themselves as victims of their past, their parents, their spouses, their co-workers, or society at large. And I've found this personally, that sometimes I can fall into this view of myself as a victim. There have been many days and sometimes even weeks in my life where something negative happens to me. And if I don't catch myself, I start to subconsciously feel sorry for myself and view myself as a victim of whatever negative circumstances are happening around me. And once I start to go down that road, it's easy for that mentality to fester and to even snowball into something more long-lasting. So remind yourself that you have significant personal responsibility for the way you view your world. Your past or your present circumstances may be tough, but they don't have to define you and the way you view your objective reality. Choose to fight for a mindset of gratitude, even in those difficult moments. Another big obstacle that I think we often have in life that keeps us from practicing gratitude is adopting a mindset of expectation instead of appreciation. Instead of seeing all the gifts and blessings that we have in our life, we just expect it. Consider how this presents itself in a marriage. If I expect my wife to make dinner 
or to do laundry, and then she does the thing that I expect, she gets zero points. If I have this mindset of expectation, in a sense, by having a mindset of expectation, I feel that she owes me something. And so when she does the thing that I expect, she just goes from a negative bank account back to zero. But a mindset of appreciation is a significantly different mindset. With that mindset, when she makes dinner, when she does the laundry, when she does something, I appreciate it because I don't just expect it. And I think this often happens in marriages where over time, something that you used to appreciate, now because they've been doing it over and over and over again, you just expect it. And so when they don't do it, they get negative points, but when they do do it, all they get is back to zero. For example, the other night, my wife was going out to dinner with a friend. I was planning to stay home, put our daughter to bed. I planned just to eat something out of the refrigerator or heat up a frozen meal. And anyone that knows me or knows me well knows that I love to eat. I mean, eating for me is just a form of entertainment. I love a good meal. I always have been that way. But on this particular night, my expectations were that I would eat an unremarkable meal at home. But as my wife was getting ready to go out to dinner with her friend, she started pulling things out of the refrigerator. She started getting pans out and she said, hey, I'm going to make you chicken parmesan. Real quick, is that okay? (laughs) And I was like, uh, I was shocked because chicken parmesan is one of my favorite meals. In fact, it's probably one of my top three meals. So when I said this, I was I was trying to understand what was happening in front of me. Why is my wife saying she's going to cook me chicken parmesan when she's about to go leave to go have dinner with her friend? Shouldn't she be getting ready? And so I was so surprised that I responded with something like, babe, you don't need to do that. I'll be fine. And then she insisted and she proceeded to whip up this incredible meal of chicken parmesan with pasta in less than 20 minutes. And it was incredible. And I was so grateful in that moment because I didn't expect it. She surpassed my expectations. I felt gratitude. To truly experience gratitude, we have to shift our mindset from one of expectation to one of appreciation. This also means not having to wait until something bad happens to see the gifts that we have in our lives. We've all felt that feeling of being sick and then all of a sudden you go from being sick and you start to feel better and you appreciate just simply feeling well. Or perhaps one of your loved ones has a health scare and all of a sudden because things you know, recover and their health is better, you appreciate them more. Let's appreciate our health now without having to be sick to appreciate it. Let's appreciate our loved ones now without having to wait until someone gets sick or someone is lost to feel appreciation for them. Let's adopt an attitude of appreciation instead of expectation. And then finally, the last obstacle to really practicing gratitude and experiencing all these benefits to gratitude is the busyness that we all have in our life. The distraction, as I talked about last episode, gratitude takes work. It takes intentionality. And if we allow our busyness to take away from this, we're never going to do it. We're never going to actually practice gratitude. So now what I want to do, I've talked about the benefits of gratitude. I've talked about many of the obstacles to gratitude. Now what I want to do is offer you two very practical yet simple yet impactful ways that you can go out today and begin practicing gratitude. As Tony Robbins says, complexity is the enemy of execution. So I want to make this simple for you. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you to do these two very simple practices from today for the next 30 days. And then I want you to reach out to me. I want you to let me know how you're benefiting from these two very simple practices. All right, number one is write down three things that you're thankful for each day for the next 30 days. That's it. Write down three things that you are thankful for 
each day for the next 30 days. And I'm going to pull from James Clear here and try to make this simple by using habit stacking. Habit stacking is where you find something that you do every single day. Every single day, you probably eat dinner. Every single day, if you're like me, you drink coffee. Or every single day, before you go to bed, you set your alarm. Find something that you do every single day, and then I want you to put this practice right after that habit that you do every single day. For me, every single morning, I wake up and I get a cup of coffee. And so for me, this gratitude practice is something I do right after I get a cup of coffee because I know every single day I'm gonna get a cup of coffee. And so what I do is I pull out my phone, I have a note, and I list three things that I'm thankful for for that day. And I wanna encourage you to be as specific as possible. Just simply saying, I'm thankful for my family for the next 30 days may not have the same impact as sitting down and actually being specific about what you're thankful for in your family. It's, it means a lot more to say, I'm thankful for my dad who had heart issues, who is healthy and living a energetic life. That's very specific. So I wanna encourage you, get specific, write this down, three things you're thankful for every day for the next 30 days and attach it to something that you do every day. And then number two, so that's number one. Number two is tell one person in your life every single day for the next 30 days something that you're thankful for about them or that simply you're just thankful for them. This practice goes hand in hand with practice number one. It's simple. You just tell the person, you give them a phone call, you can tell them in person, text, write an email, a handwritten note if you really wanna make it special, but keep it short. I don't want it to be overwhelming. I wanna keep it simple. I want you to do that one thing about one person to the person every day for the next 30 days. That's it. And then I'm gonna check in the next 30 days. I would love to hear from you how you have experienced the benefits of this simple exercise. If you're listening today or this week, this is over Thanksgiving. So start this practice now from today for the next 30 days leading up to the new year. Practice gratitude just a little bit every day and begin to experience the beauty of those benefits of gratitude, of practicing gratitude, increased happiness, increased health, better sleep, the desire to help other people, all of those things that can make an incredible difference in your life. I wanna thank all of you. I am so thankful for every single one of you for tuning in for the last 30 minutes or so listening to this. I'm thankful for you all that are out and living an intentional life. You're on this journey with me to be a better you, to be a better leader, and to have a significant impact on the world and to make our contribution. I wanna encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume this podcast. I also wanna encourage you, if you haven't done so, and I really appreciate everyone that has done this, to go onto iTunes and rate the podcast. That means so much to me, and it also helps to make this podcast more accessible to people who are looking for this type of material, this type of self-improvement, personal growth, leadership, that allows them to simply go into iTunes, search in the iTunes function, intentional living and leadership, and it allows this podcast to pop up. I also want to encourage you, if you have the time, to write a written review. I sincerely appreciate everyone that's done that or share this podcast with people that are in your life that you think would benefit from it. Friends, life is too short to miss out on the beauty of the small things. So let's be intentional today and this week and this next month Let's be intentional about practicing gratitude and let's enjoy the rewards of doing so with increased happiness, fulfillment, 
and more successful lives. Life is short. Let's go make it count.